Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to Be Lifted Up. Be Lifted Up with the Successpert, award-winning financial educator, wealth expert, speaker, and author, Alfred Edmund Jr. And your co-host, life coach and author, D. Marshall. It's Be Lifted Up. Be Lifted Up. Welcome to Be Lifted Up, your guide to living an abundant life. I'm Alfred Edmund Jr. I'm here with my co-host, Kamika Smith, sitting in for D.C. Marshall. You got one boss lady and another boss lady, but we're all good. That's Kamika, right. man, it's, it's good to see you as always. It's, uh, it's a talk, of course, yes, you're a blessing. <laughs> as one of our most recent show themes, you're blessed to be a blessing, and you're mm-hmm. doing it. Hey, listen, today's show and today's topic is right in both of our wheelhouses. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're talking about diversity, inclusion, and corporate change, and its importance to business growth. And again, this is a show about abundant life, and that means Occasionally, we focus on finance and business ownership. So as the leader of the Boss Network, as the founder mm. of the Boss Network, I know you you can't wait to get involved with this conversation and bring our guests in. Oh, yeah. Listen, this is this is right up my alley, as you know. I mean, starting the Boss Network almost 15 years ago, you know, it was important for me to create a space for Black women so that we could, you know, create wealth for ourselves through entrepreneurship but then also finding those, you know, corporations and those brand partners that will support those initiatives that we've, you know, created, you know, one being the Boss Impact Fund that we talked about, being able to actually invest in Black women-owned businesses. And it's through our partnerships with brands, you know, like Prudential that I worked with for many years, and then our partners at Sage that I'm able to do this work. So we know that, you know, any great business, you know, we can't do the work that we do without having sponsorship and support. So yeah, I'm excited about this conversation and our guests for today. So listen, if you're about abundant living, of course, this show is for you. If you're an entrepreneur or an aspiring entrepreneur, this show is for you. But if you also want to understand the impact and importance of Mm. diversity and inclusion on all of our lives in terms of what corporations do, this show is also for you. You know, Kamika, this conversation we're about to have Mm. with this very special guest on diversity, inclusion, and corporate change, Um, Mm. in your role as the founder of the Boss Network and my life, um, as a longtime executive editor at Black Enterprise, this is a space and this is a conversation that we live um, every day. And we know the importance of having leaders in diversity and inclusion. Um, and now in the post-George Floyd age on yeah. equity, you know, so it's, it's that same space. Yeah. But talk to me about why this is really important for entrepreneurs in particular uh, and, and the entrepreneurs that you represent, Black women entrepreneurs. Yeah. You know, I love the, the, I love what you just talked about there with the equity piece, right? Because I think for a lot of us, um, you know, in this space of entrepreneurship or even, you know, as career women and men, we understand there's inequality and a lot of things that we try to tap into as, you know, Black people in, the, in our communities. And so for me, you know, building a brand that was clearly, you know, has to be supported by corporations and brand partnerships to be able to do the work that I do as a for-profit company, 
um, it was really important for me to understand that that corporate landscape, right? And what that looked like. And so even having mentors like Dee Marshall with her diverse and engaged, she taught me a lot. And you both have taught me a lot about creating those partnerships and those relationships and about how to actually, you know, go to these brands to say, hey, this is the work that we're doing that impacts the community. How can we partner to make the changes that we really want to see? And so, you know, we know that within the last couple of years, um, there's been a huge, um, I guess, uh, resurgent of impact around diversity, equity, and inclusion. And we're seeing that at the forefront. It's, it's like you mentioned, you know, post George Floyd, we saw a lot of brands putting out commitments um, about supporting the Black community. And so for me as a leader, um, I think it's one of my missions to really kind of stay in the know of what's happening in that space so that we can create these opportunities for you know, our businesses and entrepreneurs that are coming up behind us. And so this work um, that, you know, these DI leaders are doing, you know, on behalf of these corporations, it's, it's so important. You know, and so we have the perfect guest to have this conversation. Um, yeah. Trish Smith, she's a global chief diversity and inclusion officer at probably the world's most dominant brand mm. in public relations, Edelman. Um, Trish, thanks for, for joining us as our guest on Be Lifted Up Radio. Welcome. Hello there. Thank you both. I appreciate the opportunity to be here with you today and to have this important conversation. So Trish, let's start a little bit about telling your story. I mean, and your experience in this space. Um, we now know over the last couple of years, post-pandemic, post the murder of George Floyd, that there's been a new demand and appreciation for leadership and expertise and, and experience in this space. Now, not that these roles didn't exist before, but I've seen a new emphasis both in companies like Edelman, as well as companies who are kind of new to the DEI diversity game. Talk to me about your path to your position and, and what you're seeing in the landscape around this conversation of diversity and inclusion over the last couple of years. Sure thing. Let's see, Alfred, how much time do we have? No, I, I'm right? sorry. I am. Um, it's been an interesting journey for me. I've been at Edelman for 20 years, actually 21 years. So I started when I was 12 is the story that I'm going to stick to. Uh, and on the comm side, I, I started as a PR practitioner, my master's degree, my background is in journalism. I have a master's degree in broadcast journalism, decided to switch and flip and go into the PR side instead of creating the news and writing on the news uh, to help inform and influence the news on behalf of clients. And so coming into an industry in which we are not represented enough, right? Mm -hmm. I didn't see many of many persons who look like myself. And I was oftentimes the only or several onlys in the room in terms of being a woman, being a person of color, being the youngest in many places and spaces. That's on the agency side internally, as well as the client side. And so I uh, was at the agency for a while led our multicultural practice for Edelman for about a decade. And in that work and working with multinational companies, large global organizations, uh, began to help them evolve their DEI comms, but also their DEI strategy, right? Oftentimes they were looking to us to help them communicate to their various audiences in a way that truly resonated with them. And that was culturally authentic and uh, reflected uh, our mores, our needs, the language. Uh, but we often found that they didn't have a real strategy that was comprehensive and that was holistic. And so from that work, uh, work with our leaders to actually create uh, the role I sit in now to help to drive that work for our organization to ensure that we have folks around our agency who look like the audiences our clients are trying to reach. 
right, who understand the needs, um, who have cultural intelligence. So that's my background. Um, This work for me is deeply personal, and I'm extremely passionate about it. Uh, It is, for me, part of what I feel is a calling, right? It is a form of professional ministry for me, uh, and making sure that I'm intentionally creating spaces for people who are not at the table, and not just to have a seat, but to have a voice and real influence. Yeah, I like to build on that idea of professional ministry. Again, this is a show about faith, finance, business, abundant living across the spectrum, not just money and business ownership, but certainly including that. But we're also talking about the ministry and the leadership that could be practiced in corporations. And in Black Enterprise, we've always been clear, it's not either successful entrepreneurs or successful corporate executives. You need people inside organizations as well as those building businesses to really raise the uh, possibilities for, in in the case of Black enterprise, business success, career success, financial success. Talk to me about the path you took, and I I definitely want to highlight the fact that you're a graduate, a proud graduate of Morgan, the the school of our founder, Earl Graves Sr., our late founder. But talk to me about this idea of, even the fact that you said the words professional ministry. Mm -hmm. Even today, people still think of, if you're not going to be a person of the cloth, or if you're not going to work at a nonprofit, Ministry really doesn't have anything to do with what you do. Yeah. Yes, I'm a proud graduate of the National Treasure that is Morgan State University. Uh, but I I absolutely believe, you know, as people of faith, we know that we're here for a purpose beyond and bigger than ourselves. And so no matter who you are or where you are, you have a role to play, a purpose to serve. And in this capacity, in terms of diversity, equity, and inclusion, it's an opportunity to to intentionally, proactively create space for those who have been marginalized, underrepresented, uh, uninvited to many rooms and places. And so uh, for me, it is part of my ministry. I do happen to be in ministry as well, uh, uh, which is another layer uh, as we're all multi-layered. But uh, that for me is a way that I'm able to do that. So it's about marketplace ministry, transforming institutions, organizations, no matter the industry, whether it's corporate, whether it's uh, entertainment, whether it's sport, whatever sector industry, business, banking, finance, whatever it might be, there is a role that we can play. And we all have a voice that we can use to, to change the things we see around us. I think oftentimes we think of it having to be in our job description or it having to be something that someone invites us to do, but we can all speak up and speak to things that we're seeing uh, yes. or that we're experiencing personally to make sure that we leave that area, that space, that team, that organization better than when we came. You know, I, I think it speaks to uh, the work that you're doing that um, some of the clients that, that I see that you, that Edelman um, works with, Toyota, uh, Prudential, Walmart, they are among the companies that are, that are doing the best, even pre-George Floyd COVID and certainly post, in terms of the kinds of impact that can be made when we're talking about dealing with diversity and systemic inequities in society. And you look at some of the big brands that are really making, uh, mm-hmm. setting the example, if you will, and many of them are, are the clients that, that your uh, Edelman works with. Um, mm-hmm. The impact that these types of initiatives has on the ability to grow businesses, Black-owned businesses in particular, and in Kamika's case, as the, the founder of the Boss Network, Black women-owned business, which is still the fastest-growing, um, you know, class or group of entrepreneurs in the country right now. 
I love what you talked about, Trish, when you mentioned marketplace ministry, because I know, you know, just working with Alfred and Dee over the years, you know, that's one of the things that really connected me with them as leaders is that I saw the ministry side and what they were doing and, and very unapologetically at that. And so I think that in our community, it's important for us to kind of share those um, strategies and belief as believers in the work that we're doing and how we're changing communities. Um, I want to talk about, you know, post-George Floyd with the commitments and some of the things that were happening um, around DEI. The work that I do with the Boss Network has always been intentional around entrepreneurship and building wealth. And so what are some of the things that you're seeing from a strategy standpoint that corporations are doing to kind of keep those commitments um, that were made during that season? That's such a great question. And we, we've seen and heard many reports about that, right? We saw all these press releases, all these tweets and posts and other things about commitments. And it's incredible to think when I look back on 2020, um, from that time upwards until about end of 2021, we counseled over 400 clients. I know it sounds ridiculous, incredible, but again, around the globe, all sizes, covering all sectors, industries. And everyone was saying, what do we say? What do we say? How do we respond and react? It was sort of funny to me on one hand in that you would think that Black people just plopped on the face of the planet at that time and, and recognized the need to really have, have some ongoing work. And what we said was, it's not about what you say, but it's about what you do. Right. What are you doing? What You can't just talk the talk, but are you walking the walk? Right. And so in that, to your question about what we're seeing companies do, it varies. It really has to be something that's rooted in understanding who you are, what your company's vision is, your mission is, your culture, what are the needs of your employees and your customers, as well as other stakeholders, whether it's your shareholders, other community leaders, but really doing that self-assessment to take a moment to recognize who you are and who you want to be. Right. And at that part is important to take that moment to really pause for the cause, to really mm -hmm. self-reflect so that whatever you do is grounded in who you are. And that will truly be something that you continue because we're we've seen these sort of fits and starts, these beginnings that sort of combust. Right. There, there's flash pan approaches. And we've got to look at what's going to be real, substantive and ongoing. So um, for us and our work, for ourselves and our clients, it's been let's take a moment to really assess and and really understand where you are in your DEI journey, what your needs are of your diverse and varied audiences, so that whatever you do will have real impact and is measurable, right? So you can look at where you are and throughout your journey be able to to really touch base and check in with where you are along meeting those goals. And so there is no one size fits all cookie cutter approach. And I don't have to tell you all that before those listening to recognize there's no one approach that works for every company mm -hmm. because your size may be different. You may be an organization with brick and mortar. You may be something that works in B2B. You may be something, a company that has hundreds and thousands of employees, and you may be one that has 1,000 or 50, right? But really understanding that so you can create something that will uh, be impactful. Even organizations that had a DEI strategy prior to 2020 had to blow up the box, mm -hmm. however, right? They had to really look at it in a new paradigm, through a new lens. I mean, we are living through, I hate to say it, it sounds so trite, but unparalleled times, I have to say we've had to live through four crises or a thrices or quadrices at once. 
due to COVID, of course, George Floyd's murder, and then the, uh, the following sort of social justice and racial justice movement to the attacks we're seeing on other communities, even the recent shootings this weekend in California. There's so much happening around us, right? E the economic recession that's disproportionately impacted black and brown communities. So as a result, organizations are having to blow up their strategies and really look at them through this new lens. And so some things we're seeing first and foremost is it really requires uh, active and authentic leadership support. Yeah. I think in the past, it's the work has been relegated to uh, certain departments or individuals, but we know Edelman does our own annual trust barometer. We're in our 23rd year. It's released at Davos, which was just released a week or so ago, that looks at trust across four institutions, government, business, nonprofits, and the media. And we know from our research that, in fact, business is the most trusted of all four of those institutions. And within that, they're looked to be the most competent and ethical and the organization or institution that individuals are looking to drive change, right? So addressing social issues, things yeah. that business was not charged with years ago. And so as a result, it requires leaders to be involved in a meaningful way. Um, they have to be accountable. Uh, their direct reports and other leaders, their C-suite have to be accountable. Um, in addition to that, we're seeing some unique partnerships to your point about, uh, again, solutions or actions, recognizing that while business may be held accountable, they have to go outside of their organizations to the community, those that have the reach, that have the pulse, that have boots on the ground in some instances to help them in driving their work, to help them in making real impact outside of their walls. In addition to that, we're also seeing things like your there are all sorts of vendors now doing trainings, right? Doing new types of trainings, whether it's cultural competency to DEI, microaggressions, unconscious bias. There's mm -hmm. a whole host of ongoing learning that needs to happen within organizations, not just a one and done, but ongoing sort of suite of resources and trainings. In addition to that, and I just finished a call earlier today, right before this call with our Asian American Employee Resource Group. Um, we have about, we have eight currently at Edelman, and uh, we had a call about the recent shootings and what it means to that community. So we had colleagues from around the country on the line, and that's another best practice that we're seeing. It's really creating these communities where individuals can have a space to share within organizations, can share their voice, their perspectives with the broader organization, and be a resource to not only help those within the organization, but the community writ large. Yeah. So those are a few of the things. And I mentioned measurement, really putting some real tools in place, um, whether that's from a, a leadership level, reviews and holding leaders accountable to looking at your recruitment retention numbers, all sorts of metrics yeah. that you can put in place to make sure you are in fact moving the needle and driving change and not just talking it, but again, walking it. Listen, Trisha, you don't have to say it, but I'm going to say it. Um, one of the things that I've observed, uh, let me back up and say, I've interviewed uh, several of your counterparts over the last two years in my work for Black Enterprise about the difference between what was happening in the diversity space for diversity leaders, pre-George <laughs> Floyd versus post-George Floyd, post-pandemic, post all those things that the confluence of events that we went through as a people um, and a nation these last few years. And 
one of the recurring themes was one, a new, if not renewed appreciation for diversity work as being more than just making sure you have the right event during the King holiday and that there's something happening mm -hmm. during Latin American History Month and, you know, and that we have the right faces in ads, that there's a certain amount, it, it varies from company to company, but there's a certain amount of taking for granted the importance of that work yeah. um, prior to what we experienced in 2020 that is totally changed today. And, mm -hmm. and as, we, as we wrap up this segment and come back to the next segment, I want to talk about one of the recurring themes of people I talked to in the past two years that have leadership roles like yours about the degree to which their personal authenticity, and in, in our case, your identity as a woman of faith, you, one of the people said, I had to get myself together because I'm being impacted by all of this stuff, just the way the people I'm trying to you know, talk to inside the organization, outside the organization. I had to get myself together so I could go in and get my people internally together. I mean, I'm talking about emotionally, and I'm not just talking yeah. about the Black people, you know, in the organization, and then say, okay, now what can we do as an organization to make sure that we're doing what we're supposed to do on the outside? But one person said, I had to get myself together. I had a son that could have been George Floyd, and I'm trying to wrestle with this as a Black mother, you know, before I can go in and even address and talk to my CEO about what we should do and what we should say, how do we come authentically? So when we come back from the break, I'd just like you to talk about that, how you approached it how you're being a woman of faith um, helped you to get rooted to do the work that you had to do both internally as well as what Edelman had to do externally for themselves and their clients to show up in the right spaces, in the right places, in the right way um, in this space. So listen, you're listening to Be Lifted Up. I know I just said a mouthful. <laughs> Your guide to living an abundant life. We're here with Trish Smith, top diversity leader at Edelman. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome back to Be Lifted Up, your guide to living an abundant life. We're talking about diversity, in inclusion, and corporate change with the global chief diversity and inclusion officer of Edelman, Trish Smith. When we closed the last break, Trish, I was talking about the new recognition that the work that people in your role are doing is not easy, it's critical, it's important beyond what I think many people took for granted prior to 2020. And the recurring theme that I heard from people in your space about how rooted you had to be able to do this work that could be very, very emotional. Cause you're talking about culture change. You're talking about changing the way we communicate and relate to one another. And I think there's a new appreciation for CDO leaders. Yeah. Um, and I know you've been recognized by financial times and others as one of the top ones um, that I, I think was new. And so I just want to talk about that in the context of your identity as a black woman, as a mother, I don't know if you're a mother, a black woman. No. Excuse me. I, my, the person I'm thinking about, she's a mother. But a black woman who you're just as impacted as the rest of the nation is by what's going on. But you also have to be able to uh, interpret that and then provide sound leadership, both internally and externally, about for yourself and for the clients and for your, your company. Uh, and thank you for that question. And and as you're posing it, my mind is racing because I I actually don't know that I've been 
or I was as conscious of that need to sort of fortify myself before yeah. going into the work. Yeah. Uh, and we know that we can't, we can't serve, we can't give, we can't operate on E uh, or from a place of deficit. And so uh, I'm learning it in the process. Uh, I'm learning to, to take that time that I need or to get that from where I need to get it. And for me, of course, it is rooted in my faith. It is from um, being prayerful. It is from spending time in the word. It is from being around others who help to uplift me and to encourage me so that when I do go in, uh, when I do go into whatever room and, and go into whatever whatever conversation, wherever I may need to have some conversations or difficult discussions, that I can do that. Uh, and it is a role, just as in some others, in which you are putting others' needs first. You are there to be uh, a force for change or voice for those who don't feel that they have a voice. And, and it can be hard. It can be hard. It can often be um, misunderstood, mm. undervalued, right? Unseen mm. uh, in terms of the work you're doing and how you're helping to do things behind the scenes to create whatever that end game is that you desire in whatever situation. So um, it can be a, a, a role that can be somewhat, uh, I, don't, I hate using the word thankless because you're not doing it for that, but it is challenging. Um, it does require you to make sure that you realize that, uh, you know, for me, I think it's about recognizing I'm not going into the conversations alone. Mm-hmm. I'm not doing the work by my own might and power, um, but, you know, that it is in any room, right? We know uh, that the Lord is with us, but also that I have generations of those who are yes. there with me, those who've gone before me and those who'll come after. So for me, that's what drives me and what sort of keeps me sane in the midst of what seems like insanity in our world. Mm. When you look at all that's happening day in and day out, I mean, there's a new report every day. There are changes, situations, challenges within the workplace every day. The economy is unpredictable. There's so much that's happening that impacts. When you talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion, that's everything. That's Mm -hmm. not this specific area that sits over here, or if it's an offshoot from HR in an organization, or if it's even from the president's or CEO's office, wherever it might sit in the org chart, um, it impacts every area of your business, uh, you know, and so how you're able to, to drive that while staying focused, while staying um, uh, sane, while staying focused is, is important. And I think uh, it requires every leader in this space to really recognize what they need personally, because it's going to vary, to make sure that they can sustain the work. It's interesting. I was reading something the other day that talked about the lifespan of DEI officers in terms of not their life mm. entirety, but of doing the work or how much they oh, yeah. change and transition. Yeah. And you're not serving in the role for very long stints. And I believe it is because of the intensity, the high expectation of the work, the sometimes um, monumental demands that truly causes people to have to shift or to whether it's move from one organization or shift to another role for that matter. And so it is so important. It's such a great question. It's actually causing me to ponder and continue to think about how I'm intentional uh, in doing that. You know, I'm just interested because I'm listening to you, Trish, and I, you know, I think about, you know, my community and like just having like a tribe. What does that look like for you? Like, where do you, 
go to to kind of get your renewal, you know, because as Alfred mentioned, like this work is such a heavy labor, um, mentally, emotionally, personally. So where do you go to kind of get refill? Like what does your tribe look like that supports you in this work as a believer? Yeah, I have a huge extended family. So uh, I, uh, I'm i the oldest and only girl, but I have all younger brothers. So um, I have a huge family. My parents are both both come from huge families. So several aunts and uncles and a ton of cousins. So my family is an amazing source of inspiration and, and the tribe that that truly helps me to do all things. Um, I don't have children, don't have a, a husband. So for me, um, my extended family um, are key and critical in that. Um, also sorors, right? We got to have our good girlfriends. So shout out to the women of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated. Um, you got to have, you know, I have some amazing line sisters and sorors that are there when I can just call and be like, you know what such and such said today, where you can't right. necessarily maybe say it all the time, right? When you want to, wherever you are, whoever you are in your workplace to have that safe space That's is right. key. A place where you can go and you can just say, I really don't know what to do in this instance, or there is no right answer to this issue, right? And to really talk that through, to really be transparent about that, because people look to you for all the answers, Mm -hmm. um, to have that candid, safe space. Um, to be able to, uh, we all need to be sort of refueled as we talked about, but also um, to be encouraged and supported in that you've got this. So we all need that. It doesn't matter where you are in your career, whether you're at the entry level or you're in the most senior tables within the organization, we all need that, that reassurance, that building up that you've got this, right? And you have what, what it takes and, and what's needed. So for me, my my sores are my line sisters in particular are a tremendous source of that, and uh, my tribe. Um, I have a cousin who's like a sister to me, who is truly Dr. Kamika, a boss lady, um, and she um, has she's a few years older and has always been someone that I've looked to as a role model, a mentor, and and she's someone I use as a sounding board often as well, and so. Um, for me, those are some of my church family, right? Um, uh, my, my pastors are places. Um, my co-pastor in particular um, is, is a husband and wife team. My co-pastor, I can have really um, intense and, and candid conversations as her being a woman in ministry and what that's meant, being um, one of the only in many rooms and, and breaking down doors and busting mm-hmm. up glass ceilings. So um, those are some of the places that I go. And, and and the people who help fuel me, my mother, of course, and I mentioned my my family. So those are, are my tribe members, uh, yeah. girlfriends, best friends. friends. There, there's a ton, but th- those are the people. Um, you know, we all have that WhatsApp chat or that chat on our phones that we blow up and chat. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just think that is so important. You know, just in this new world, I'll say post-COVID that we live in, that we kind of talk about some of those things, like the tribe is so important. And then also like some of the strategies that we're using for self-care, because I can just imagine like in your work, like you said, you're, you know, helping everybody else to figure out how to put out fires and how to, you know, manage different things that are happening. And so I'm always interested to know how, you know, women in particular are finding ways to kind of refuel themselves. Like what strategies are you personally using for self-care and to you know, just show up where you're giving so much to other people, you know, how do you refuel? So, 
And that, again, this is another thing where I'm practicing as I preach and learning as I go. Um, I, I literally just, um, massages are wonderful, right? Um, I've mentioned prayer and so forth, but I just, I uh, was in Vegas in, I guess, October, November, got a massage, amazing. So I love Vegas as a best boss. Um, and the woman was like, your back is so knotted and you have so much tension that you need to get a massage like weekly. Mm. And I was like, I don't have time for that. Like, I don't have time to get a massage weekly, but it was, for me, it was illustrative of the fact of how we put ourselves at the bottom of every list. And for mm -hmm. me, I wear all my stress and tension there and, and sort of my upper back. And so she's like, you've got to do this because you're not even getting to a place of balance, no less restoring, right? Or going, you know, again, that fueling part or putting, you know, depositing in your cup. And so for me, it was a illustrative of life, of, of work, of how particularly as Black women, we're oftentimes putting every other need, every other individual uh, in ahead of ourselves. And so really needing to be cognizant of that. So for me, I'm trying to do more spas. I haven't started doing it actively, but I'm going to at least a couple of times a month um, and taking time to be with the tribe, as we mentioned, as we are climbing whatever ladders and the corporate ladder really doesn't even exist anymore. It's more like a jungle gym now. But as we're climbing that, navigating that, really making sure that we're taking time to be with those individuals who do inspire us like the tribe, as you mentioned. So really taking that time. So that's one of my promises that I've made to myself for 2023 is taking time to uh, practice proper self-care on an ongoing basis and to make the time for those people and for those individuals doing those things that help to fill me, that really make sure that I'm able to do the work. I, I had a horrible like COVID twice in 2021, 2022. So fall 2021 and early 2022 had a horrible Peloton treadmill accident. And so after all that and COVID and the fact that we've made it through um, that and we're all still here, uh, we need to live life and live no it abundantly. No doubt. We just shared a little bit about, you know, um, some of the things that are happening around the DEI space. Trish, I want to um, talk to you because I know for me, when COVID happened in, in my community, it was important for me to figure out you know, a way outside of just providing, you know, resources to these women um, that were struggling to keep their doors open with their businesses. I really wanted to figure out how could I support them to, you know, get capital and funding. And so I partnered with a company called Sage and we were looking for ways to invest in Black women because we saw from the from the research that less than 1% of, you know, Black founders get access to capital through venture funding. And so me knowing that was a big issue, it really prompted me to go to, you know, different brand partners of mine and say, hey, how can we actually invest in these businesses to keep these doors open during the season? And so I want to talk to you about, you know, you as um, the, the Global Diversity Officer working with so many other brand companies and on their DEI strategy. What are some of the best practices that you've seen brands actually implement that are, you know, kind of thriving and helping to look more at people instead of just profit? I think that's something that um, we'll be interested in talking about. Uh, you know, the practice of DEI has went through an evolution, right? It started off as being very much sort of even rooted in affirmative action, right? And then being very sort of data target driven. Um, and it still needs metrics, as I mentioned before. But I think what we've seen over these last three years is that organizations recognize it's not only about who you hire, but about the culture within the organization and also what you're doing outside of your walls. 
And I think for me, when I look at it, the best companies now are looking at this holistically to say, what are we doing to not only recruit, attract, recruit, hire, retain diverse talent? What are we doing to transform our culture to ensure that we are inclusive and equitable? And they are very different. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. To make sure that you're inclusive and equitable and um, within the walls. And then also what you're doing to affect communities outside of your walls, right? To drive change in communities. And you mentioned, you know, in terms of supporting even Black businesses, right? And in particular, your, your network. And so I think what we're seeing in that regard is that organizations are looking at where they can utilize who and what they are to be a part of that even external change while they're driving internal change. So we're seeing clients like, you know, the doves of the world who are doing amazing things like with the Crown Act and utilizing who and what they are to, again, drive change for this systemic issue that's plagued, right, our communities for years around hair discrimination. How are we working to address that? And they're utilizing who and what they are, bringing their marketing prowess and their their product, right, to to bear, to really be a part of that change. We're seeing it with some uh, clients like a large QSR company um, that really looked at the fact that they have franchisee owners and really looking at what can we do to get more Black-owned franchises in our business, in our organization, and looking at how they actively are going to look for those partners rather than waiting for them to come to them and, and maybe even struggling to get through those processes. What are they doing to ensure that they have the resources needed to get there? Um, we're seeing it around the, the, the globe and various organizations to really look at how they are not only establishing policies, practices internally for their own people, but also externally for the community. And that to me is one of the biggest forces of change or biggest changes and evolutions I've seen in the work in the last three years is that it's not only what you're doing within your company, but what you're doing to drive that change. As I mentioned, the research shows that stakeholders are demanding now. So businesses have a mandate, right? There is an absolute expectation from all audiences and they have to rise to the cause. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that uh, one of your peers in your industry at another company um, shared with me during the conversations about this again over the last couple of years is that one of the things that if that at least more companies are understanding um, and new companies are understanding is that when all is said and done, what Black people think of your brand is a lot more about what you do outside the company than what you do inside the company. Because, yeah, there are people who work at the company, but what people think of the brand, if they're never going to work for, you know, say Toyota, or they're never going to work for Prudential right. or whatever, but they have a thought about the brand, it largely is a reflection of the, the presence and impact of where they live, what they do. I tried to start a business. I'm trying to get financing. I'm trying to learn to do this or do that. Whatever my goal is, well, this sticks with entrepreneurship since we are talking about growing um, business and, and that's my co-host space in particular. But this recognition yeah. that I think is a big part of the equity part being added to the conversation when before it was just D&I and, and equity is a relatively new en- element. I just heard another element being added is called access. So I found somebody who now their job is yeah. D-E-I-A because somebody added access. 
But those are the measures that speak to the outside of the company. That's right. Particularly for entrepreneurs, more than the inside of the company, which is more about recruitment, retention, advancement up the ranks in the company. Talk to me about that that recognition um, and why that's important when we're talking about um, the growth of of businesses and Black-owned and women-owned businesses in particular. Yeah, you're so right, Alfred. There is this desire, of course, to to want to know that your company is diverse, right? To want to know that, and not only diverse, but that there's diversity even in the most senior ranks, right? What is the representation amongst your C-suite, amongst your board, and so on? So we know that that's a, a big piece of the puzzle. But as you just mentioned, it's about also your footprint within our community. So are, are your products and services accessible? to my community, you talked about accessibility, right? Does the language that you use, the communications that you provide, is it culturally relevant and resonant? Does it reflect who and what I am, right? And so there's that piece of it. Where are you sharing that communications? The tools, the media outlets, right? That you are delivering those messages in. And then it's also what you're doing to drive sort of economic change, which gets to your vendors, your your partners, maybe your supplier pipeline. And so it really is, again, this holistic ecosystem that looks at where you can, as businesses, corporations are sitting in this new seat of unprecedented power and of unparalleled expectation, how are you looking in all these areas where you, X or Y company, can do what you need to do to show up in a way that's authentic and sustainable. Uh, and so it, it really is a new game. It is a new landscape. And so companies, the best ones that are doing it are recognizing that they can't do it overnight, but that, that there is urgency and that there's something they have to do now and they're committing to it for the long term. And so I, I think that your, your point about how companies are now looking at new types of partnerships that they may not have brokered in the past, uh, we're seeing some unusual bedfellows develop, right? Some unique pairing of organizations that you wouldn't have seen pre-2020 um, that I think leads to great opportunity and potential uh, for our communities and for some of these businesses to grow in ways that they wouldn't have in the past prior to. So um, uh, because of of my faith, I I like to think I'm an eternal optimist. There is something that we can make from what we've lived through the last few years that I think will will help propel us to to a better future. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, as as people of faith and, and whether we read it in the word or we live it through our own experiences, I've said many times on this show and on other platforms, as difficult as the pandemic was for me personally, and it was, uh, you know. Yeah. But yeah. I can't argue the point that I came out a better person, yeah. a better, I, I was reawakened to some things that I think I had lost, I mean, speaking particularly as a man of faith, coming out of it. There were things I took for granted that I no longer take for granted. Kamika telling you, now I'm so happy Great. to see people. I'm so happy people are still around. Uh, you know, right. <laughs> and, and, you know, in terms of finances, in terms of my spirit for giving, my energy around tithing, it got totally re-energized okay. during the pandemic. Um, yeah. And so I'm a firm believer that it takes people of faith to make progress through those periods. And that's when not only is our faith confirmed, but God really shines mm. going through through those types of periods. Yeah, well, look, we're supposed to be the light in dark places, right? And so um, many organizations are quite dark. 
Um, mm -hmm. And so bringing that light and shining in those places that wouldn't otherwise see it. And I'm not talking about that we're coming in quoting scripture every day, right, right? right? But we are the walking embodiment of it. And so we are showing up in that way that shines that light. And, and I agree, I, you know, many of us came out of COVID, some crying, some kicking, some screaming, uh, but we made it out. And I do think we've learned something about ourselves and each other in the process um, that will, will be helpful for us as we move forward. Um, it definitely, our world is different. We're different. The work we do now is done in a different way. Um, so I'm excited about what's to come and what it means for our community, what it means for um, Black businesses, what it means for those of us who may work for large organizations that may not be diverse owned, but know that we have a role to play as well, because that's another component to it, right? We all have a part to play and, and a role to serve in the work collectively. Yeah. Thank you so much, Trish. We bless you. We Thank want God you. to cover you and keep you in the important work that you're doing and the impact. Absolutely. Thank you for being our guest on behalf of me and Kamika for joining us on Be Lifted Up, your guide to living an abundant life. Thank you. Thank you both so much. It's Be Lifted Up, your guide to living an abundant life.